Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Shomon Nakatoshu Dai Shichi Soku Tosotsu Sankan Tosotsu no Esho Osho Sankan no Mokete Gakshanito Hatsu Sosan wa Tada Kensho Hakaru Sokkon Choni no Sho Izore no Tokoru ni Karu Jisho Shikitoku Sureba Entangled Vines, Case 7 Tōsotsu's Three Barriers Tōsotsu Yuetsu Devised three barriers to test his students. Pulling weeds and exploring the dark are solely for the purpose of seeing self-nature. So right now, where is your self-nature? If you realize self-nature, you escape birth and death. So as the light in your eyes dims, how do you escape? When you escape birth and death, you know where you go. So as for your four elements separating, where do you go? Good morning. In our seven-day-long one day, we are somewhere between 4 a.m. and 8 a.m., if you want to think of it that way. We're spending this time together as if it is one day. The absence of certain signals, like the Han, shows us that we are just during the course of this one long day. And if you look outside, you might see the state of your mind, fog, or you might see the melting of that that had been solid, ice turning to water, beautiful icicles, like beautiful arrangements of who we think we are, melting and falling off the roof. And then when they fall in the snow for the first time, you see that it's actually pretty dirty. It's pretty dirty, the water in those icicles. It's washing off the roof. It looks beautiful in the sunlight, but you would not want to suck on it. So, as time and nature has it, the koan today is of a rather heavy nature. And there's this wonderful calligraphy right behind Shingeroshi that shows, which you might want to look at, maybe not now, but when 
the next time you get uh, a few breaths before uh, running back to the zendo. But have a look at it. It's the character death. Now, to a certain degree, I have to admit, you know, these Zen, uh, Zen teachers and Zen people are kind of weird. They get excited when they get to talk about dying. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to talk about. Uh, and not only that, we get to talk about it, but guess what? You all get to do it. <laughs> all of you, all of us will participate in that activity of dying. This is the great equalizer. There is no difference of how much you are this or that way, how much knowledge, how deep insight, how shallow life you might have lived. It's going to end. And this koan is one of those that speaks about dying. Since it is such a wonderful topic, let's go right into it. Are you ready to die? Yes. <laughs> Liars! <laughs> so, Tosotsu. Let me tell you a little bit about Tosotsu. Tosotsu and this koan also appears in the Gateless Gate as case 47. It is the main case in the Gateless Gate, Tosotsu's three barriers. When we trace Tosotsu back to the lineage in which we find ourselves here, the first common an ancestor we have is Sekiso Soen. Sekiso Soen was a successor to Yogi Hoe. So that's the Yogi lineage. So Yogi Hoe, Sekiso Soen, then the famous Oryo Enan, which you might encounter in Teisho's here and there, and somebody you never heard of by the name of Hobo Kokumon. So Hobo Kokumon actually was the first person who gave transmission and the lineage to Tosotsu. Tosotsu started out fairly young. He became a monk at the age of 15. And he lived from 1044 until 1091. That's only 47 years. Not very long for our modern standards. So our record indicates that Tosotsu appears in two cases in the Shumon Katoshu. The Shumon Katoshu is this koan collection that I'm using to go through for these Teishos. He became a monk at 15 and he studied the scriptures. He studied the scriptures with several masters and also then got into Zen. But it is written down about him that he was somewhat proud in nature. And 
we call that a hindrance. There are many, many other hindrances. We heard about hindrances uh, from Hokuto-sensei yesterday. There are so many hindrances that we could talk a long time, and that would also be one of them. <laughs> so, but his proudness, I don't know what he was proud of, his understanding, his physicality. There are so many things. If we look at ourselves, it's sometimes quite interesting to see what am I proud of? What have I achieved? Or what are the most wonderful traits of my being? But flip it around and ask the other way. Where's the place that I don't want anyone to see? What is the thing I am the worst at? And then you come here, and you don't even have to ask. <laughs> it will appear like naturally right in front, not your eyes, but everybody else's. You try to hide something, you come here, it will come out. So, of course, also Tosutsu's proudness came out. And one of the teachers he studied with, his name was Ungai, Ungai Shuchi. He sharply criticized him. So, sometimes we are sharply criticized here. And if we don't understand the heart that stands behind those criticisms, or, on the other hand, if we don't provide the heart when we are in a position to criticize somebody, then it is just criticism. It's just sharp and incisive and injurious. But if we understand that it is meant, and if we mean it as an opportunity for those who are criticized, to have a very clear mirror held to them, then it is something that can be of very, very great importance. Sometimes, I mean, we are not mostly in the positions to criticize others, and it's probably not a good idea to do it in an overt way, but we can still embody exactly that, what we think others are falling short embodying. In Seshin, when somebody is moving in the Zendo. Oh, there's somebody moving. <laughs> Can't deal with the pain. No, just... Manifest your posture, manifest your being there, embody the stillness, and ultimately ask for the pain to be sent to you. All right, there is somebody who needs my help. There is something I can give myself to completely. It makes for a different atmosphere. 
Who was that who ate so slowly? Hmm. Oh, somebody must be really hungry. Softening, softening, softening. Letting the icicles fall off. Letting the ice melt. So Ungai Shuchi succeeded with Tosotsu. And Tosutsu looked at his proudness and overcame it. He, re- he reconsidered the ways of how he was presenting himself, how he was thinking, his self-image, and he went to study with Hobo Kokumon and became his successor. He taught at various places in China, and the last two at the Mount Tosotsu, that's where his name comes from. It's interesting that Tosotsu, Tosotsu Ten is the Tsuchita heaven. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but uh, once you get out of Sashin, you can rush to the Buddhist dictionary and look it up. Tsuchita heaven, Kosotsu Ten. The second koan that we find in the Shumon Katoshu is a meeting between uh, Tosotsu and another monk by the name of Seiso, and it involves uh, some lychee nuts. It's a delicious koan, not just because of the lychees. It's case 148. We are now at seven, so if you hang around long enough, uh, there are just 141 to go. So this is a heavy-hitting koan. Three barriers for the students. Here's the first one. Pulling weeds and exploring the dark are solely for the purpose of seeing self-nature. Pulling weeds. You know, Shumon Katoshu, it talks about entangled vines. Vines can be weeds too, and entanglements. So pulling weeds can mean a couple of things. You might remember that many of those old Chinese Zen masters lived somewhere in the mountains. You wouldn't pull the weeds, but you had to whack your path through it to get there. So a lot of commentators say that it means that you're clearing the path to call upon a teacher. Or it could also mean in your practice you clear away thoughts and delusions that have grown like weeds. Isn't that nice and green? But I'm allergic to it. So, clearing away obstructive thoughts and delusions. Pulling weeds and exploring the dark. One of the wonderful things at Rohatsu Seshin is we rise in the dark and we retire for a few hours in the dark. That darkness as a container of what we are doing here is a wonderful opportunity 
to live through this one day. Darkness. The character Gen for dark is used quite often in Dharma names. Probably Genmyo has a Gen in it that is dark. Probably, I don't know Gen or what your Gen is. No, it's not dark. But Genryo is also dark. Genro, my first teacher, was dark. Dark means not just darkness, but it also, in Taoism and in Zen, it became the character that is used for the hidden, the mysterious, that that is not easily perceived, sometimes also called the abstruse principle, Gen. But sometimes it just means dark. Like in Genkan, the entrance way, which sometimes is very dark, especially in the morning when there is no light, where somebody puts a cushion somewhere in the middle or on the side and you encounter it, and then you encounter the floor <laughs> in the dark. So we pull weeds and we explore the dark solely for the purpose of seeing self-nature. Tosotsu's first question. So right now, where is your self-nature? Please, moving nature. So right now, where is your self-nature? This sounds like something that you, a question you have to face in front of your teacher in the Doksan room. What would you do? Anyone going to open their mouth? It's a trap. It's a trap. Be aware. Stick your tongue out. <coughs> what Tosotsu tries to do here is find a way to point us to a disease that many of us have. And it's natural because it is how our mind often works. And we could call it the philosophical disease, the disease of abstraction. Getting rid of abstraction. Oh yeah, let's talk about death. How heavy is death? How long? What color is it? If you start explaining it, you know already you are off the mark. 
So how do you answer a question like that? There's a similar koan about Chosa. And it goes like this. Sancho, a disciple of Rinzai, sent a monk to Chosa about the recently dead teacher Nansen. The monk asked Chosa, Where did Nansen go after his death? Chosa said, When Sekiso was a young monk, he met Master Eno. So it was nothing that had anything to do with the question. He's talking about something completely else, if you listen just to the words. The monk was confused too. He said, I was not asking about Sekiso. I was asking about Nansen after death. And Chosa said, Go, ask Nansen. The poor monk. He says, You're a great master. And you can't even answer this question. Chosa kept silent. He didn't say anything. The monk bowed and said, Thank you very much for answering like that. Chosa kept silent. When Sancho heard about this, he said, if Chosa can answer like that, he is greater than Rinzai. I'll go and see for myself. So he came to Chosa and said to him, I heard of your wonderful answer. Nobody ever before has answered like that. And Chosa kept silent. So what are you going to say? What are we going to say about that? Are we just keeping silent from darkness, not knowing? Or are there other kinds of silences? Wouldn't it be wonderful to arrive at that point where Chosa's silence is known to us, each of us? Where we break out of the disease of philosophizing, the disease of abstraction, even thinking about death. Now let me tell you a story 
And I apologize to those who have heard this story before. When I moved here uh, in the, and to, to live here in the United States, uh, I was also getting married to Shuko-san. And as part of the preparations for the wedding, there was a lot of shopping involved. <laughs> if you're a Zen practitioner, going shopping with somebody is as valuable as Zazen. <laughs> it teaches you patience. And it also teaches you often how to answer with silence. <laughs> Does that look good on me? So we went shopping, and I went along. First of all, I was amazed that there are so many different stores, stores for this, stores for that. And you go in, and I instantly understood why it is so hard for many people to make decisions. Because there is just so many different things you could choose. So many different things you could choose. And whatever you choose, you leave, you actually see all the things you leave out. That's a, also a wonderful moment of teaching. There you have to ask you, how many of those do I need? I want them all. So, yeah, that's how capitalism works. But one specific thing that happened had to do with shoes and Shuko's mother. Shuko's mom has shoe size two and a half. That is very, very small. You can order shoes from the Cinderella catalog, <laughs> which means you can't see them, but you know they will fit. It's, an, it's, it's really an odd thing to call your business for shoes Cinderella catalog because do they just send one shoe? <laughs> so there was nothing in the Cinderella catalog. So we had to go around and to the various shoe stores. And there was one specific shoe store we had to drive to. And we drove to the shoe store. And they found a two and a half, just the right heel size, the right tip, and wonderfully looking shoe, and they went up to the cash register. And I will never forget this moment. In this shoe store, where mostly people go to buy shoes for weddings and things like that, my soon-to-be mother-in-law puts the shoes on the table with the register, and the guy looks up from the register and looks at her and says, are you going to die? <laughs> And I thought, oh my God, that got heavy pretty quickly. <laughs> what is she going to say? I'm supposed to be the Zen monk here, but what is she going to say? And she looked at him and smiled and says, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It took me some time to figure out why the shoes were white. Because it was a shoe store where you went, you bought white shoes, and then you dyed them in the color of your dress. <laughs> so when he asked her, are you going to die? It was D-Y-E, not D-I-E. I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> but The shoes were dyed, and nobody died. <laughs> so you see, we have these kinds of abstract things we carry around with us. Death, are you going to die? Uh, and death especially creates fear. Many people fear death. And some come to Zen practice because they want to face death and learn about it. And that's a wonderful thing to do. Dying and death has to be something, as we know in this practice, that is not abstract. That is the important thing of this, ver of this very first barrier here. Whatever you do, don't put it in a box. It doesn't fit in a box. Don't make it a concept. We are here to learn how to die. And now, of course, let's be careful in the same way that we had a disclaimer yesterday uh, in terms of self-mutilation. Dying means a lot of things. And Zen speak likes to talk about life and death. And it is life and death once you know, but it's not just physical. So be careful with that. Is there anybody here who at some point in their life was afraid of dying? Come on, be honest. In one point, at one point, somehow, many of us, well, you are in good company. You are in very good company. And then you come to this practice and you think, ah, now I can get rid of all my fears. <clears throat> but the first thing you have to learn and we have to learn is that that is probably the first idea we have to get rid of. So I said, you are in good company, people who are afraid of dying. And what's after? Hell. You come here, you will experience hell. You don't have to die. And if not, at 6 o'clock of this Rohatsu day, just you wait. Just you wait. And if the flames come, let them consume you. We heard, and we will hear every night, exhortations. Exhortations by Hakuin Zenji, whose picture is here on the Butsudan. And when I say you are in good company of people afraid of dying, 
There is one right up there. At the age of 18, Hakuin happened to read the biography of the Zen master Ganto Zenkatsu. Ganto lived during Emperor Wu's time, and that was the time where Buddhism was persecuted in China. Every time I speak about the persecution of Buddhism in China, I point out that the rakusus that you wear around your neck, they are the small versions of these kesas, and they were invented in that time so that the monks could wear it under their garbs because they were lay-sized, but they put it under. So it had to be smaller. It's the abbreviated kesa. So please treat your rakusu in that way. There were people thousands of years ago ready to die for being discovered of following the teachings of the Buddha. And they invented the rakusu. And so there's a lot of history with it. It is the garment of the Buddha made, stitched together from rags. So in that time, Ganto lived in China. Many monks and nuns were forcibly returned to lay status, including Ganto. He was a layman officially, but he continued to teach putting his, line, his life on the line. He lived as a ferryman at Lake Tung Ting in the Hunan province. Ferrymen are a very interesting bunch of people. Does anyone have a favorite ferryman? Somebody pushing the ferry over? Charon? Yeah, of course. Pushing Charon, Charon, going to the Isle of the Dead, just down our alley with dying. Is there another ferryman? Has anyone ever read Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse? So you will know there's the ferryman by the name of Vasudeva going across the river back and forth. Vasudeva. And Ganto was a ferryman in that time. He was murdered by bandits. And it was said that his death shouts, his cries, were so loud that they could be heard for many miles around. This story caused Hakuin great distress. 
After all, Ganto was the kind of teacher that was supposedly only coming around every 500 years or so. If such a person could first of all meet such a fate while alive and also would scream bloody hell, what good is this Buddhist practice for? How could Hakuin avoid his fear of hell after death? He was thrown into torment. And he described it like this. For, for a full three days, I lay tossing restlessly on my bedding, tormented by these thoughts. I began to waste away slowly starving there in the monks' quarters. Not so much as a, as a grain of rice would pass my craving throat. It lasted five unbearable days, and through it all, I could not for the life of me drive those burning hellfires from my mind. At that point, Hakuin decided to abandon the Buddhist life, resigning himself to burn in hell. I will not tell any more of Hakuin because we will have Hakuin Day and there is a lot to be said about him. But for those who have had fear of dying, Hakuin and Ganto are very good examples to think of who we are as human beings, what our company is. Now the second of Tōsotsu's barriers goes like this. If you realize self-nature, you escape birth and death. So as the light in your eyes dims, how do you escape? Parse every koan for the words. Be very careful and find the words that are obvious traps. Escape. Where will you go? What is it that you're trying to escape from? And first of all, who is asking? Who is it who wants to escape? Who is it who creates abstract ideas of birth and death? Whose eyes are it in which the light dims? 
When the eye is dim, that just means you are approaching death. Do you have one of those little uh, warning lights somewhere on you that says uh, you are approaching death now? Probably not. However, some of us have more certainty than others. But for most of us, we don't know. When the eyes dim, they can dim in so many different ways. When you sit in Zazen, have your eyes dimmed? Have you disappeared? Have you died? And are you still here? Have you returned? Sickness, of course, is often seen as something that is invariably leading us to death. Let me tell you about Ikkyo. Ikkyo, the famous master, he went to see one of his lay friends who was dying, and he told him, I will now guide you to your last end. The man, of course, was a Zen student, and he said, I don't need your guidance. I came alone. I'll go alone. Ikkyu said, If you think you came alone and that you will go alone, that's your illusion. I'll teach you where there is no coming and no going. As the man heard that, he smiled and slipped away. No coming, no going. Kozen Daito Kokushi Yuikai, the last admonition of Kozen Daito, which we chanted just before today. It says in there, Kivame Kitari, Kivame Sarubeshi. See the comings and see the goings. Coming and going. Haku in Zenji's. Zazen Basan yesterday. Is there anything in there about coming and going? I think it says about returning. Remember anybody? Of course. How can you escape this? How can you escape the human condition? Become a stone, a tree? Uh, maybe. With Joshua Dorsey, you were asked to turn into a pine tree. But it never lasted. And we returned into our human form, our human condition. And our human condition is coming and going, is 
joy and sadness, night and day. And there is no escape, but going through all of it completely. The entire human condition. As soon as we get caught up in abstract thinking, it's not human anymore. It's abstract. As soon as we think of escape another place, it is not this. It is something else. In this Rohatsu session, use every moment to see, to feel, to completely actualize that there is no escape. The only way through this is to go through it. Don't fool yourselves with an escape. We all do it. I can remember when I was a young monk at Mount Bali, Zen Center, being so weak, sitting on the tan, which is about this high, and the brain works by itself, your condition works by itself, contemplating, oh, what could I do to get out of here? I could fall off the tan. That's a, that's a good thing. They would certainly think that there's something wrong with him. Then I don't have to be there. It's amazing what happens with these thoughts that go through your mind sometimes, you know? And the same will happen here during the session. Let them go through, let them go by. If it helps, think of it or look at it from the point of view as looking at a sewer. Oh, look at that. Oh, I'm going to grab that. <laughs> Who would stick their hand in a sewer? Probably nobody. So don't be tempted to do that. You put it in your kamaza. <laughs> there is no escape. No escape. Now, coming back briefly to the abstraction, even in writings, we have to be very careful. We find writings from very, very gifted Zen people, very gifted Zen teachers, like Thich Nhat Hanh, for example, speaking about dying. And the caveat, what we have to be careful here with is that we shouldn't take the words as an outside-in. It's not prescriptive, what is written often in Zen books. It is an expression of what that person experienced. Thich Nhat Hanh writes, when we look deeply at things, we see that this idea of birth and death is mistaken. No phenomenon whatsoever can come into existence out of nothing. 
and no phenomenon which exists can become nothing. Things are ceaselessly transforming. The cloud does not die. It only becomes rain. The rain is not born. It is only the transformation and continuation of the cloud. Leaves, a pair of shoes, joys and sorrows, all conform to this principle of no birth and no death. To think that after death we continue to exist without change is called the view of permanence. Reality transcend, transcends both permanence and annihilation. It's wonderfully put. But again, be careful, these are words. When we look deeply at things, we see that this idea about birth and death is mistaken. So is this idea that is being expressed. And that is why it is so important to have these extreme circumstances to which we are exposing, we are exposing ourselves here. Going back to the deep vow we heard about yesterday and the deep vow to go through all of that, what we call the human condition, in this setup of Rohatsu. Listening with our hearts to the Diamond Sutra, what it says. And today we had a wonderful experience with the Diamond Sutra. The teaching that diamonds come in all kinds of states as a journey. Some are very rough sometimes, but they polish over time. You will notice as we go deeper into this day of Rohatsu, our experience of the Diamond Sutra will change. We had a little tug of war today uh, between the drum and the chanters so we didn't really fall into, into line right that happens sometimes yeah. it happens oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and again here it's the dissolution of being separate we can all come together and chant it as one voice. That is what we can do with the Diamond Sutra, just all together. Not, again, in an abstract way, but embodied from all of us.
So listening to the Diamond Sutra will help us look at the third of the barriers. When you escape birth and death, you know where you go. So as your four elements separate, where do you go? The four elements in the Chinese teaching are earth, water, fire, and air. Those four elements represent the solid parts of your body, the liquid parts of your body. Fire is the life energy, and air is the movement. Let me quickly tell you about Tozan. When he was dying, a monk asked him, Master, is there somebody who is not sick? He said, Yes, there is somebody who is not sick. The monk. Does this person who is not sick look at you? And the master said, It is not for him to look at me. It is for this old monk to look at him. The monk asked, How do you look at him? At him who is not sick. The master, When I look at him who is never sick, there is no sickness at all. Similarly, Toksan. Toksan was asked the same question on his deathbed. Is there somebody who is not sick? He said, yes, there is. And then the monk asked, how do you look at him? And Toksan said, So much for escape. There is no escape. The four elements separating, dying, being born, both are functions of shunyata, of the absence of shvabhava, of selfhood, or as the Diamond Sutra says, the absence of an idea of an ego entity, a personality, a being, or a separated individuality. All things are composite. All things are composite. Empty of selfhood. According to conditions, they arise, they disappear. As soon as we put the stake in the ground of a point of view of an ego identity, 
a personality, a being, or a separated, separated individuality, all the trouble in the world starts. Shakyamuni Buddha died to himself. And this Rohatsu Sishin asks us to do exactly the same thing. And there will be no barrier for life or for death. Please follow your vow. And give all you can. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.